Hey, Shuang here. Exciting news. We are launching a new series on this podcast called Learn with Shopify. It's the same great conversations you love with business owners, but we'll go even deeper into their area of expertise, like marketing, manufacturing, product development, and so much more, so you can learn how to scale your business. It starts in July on Thursdays, and it comes to you in the same feed as Shopify Masters. So come join us on Tuesdays and Thursdays this summer to learn even more with Shopify. So I still spend a lot of time every week creating content that I hope is useful for people and answering questions when people choose to engage with that comment because that's what the community is all about. That's what the community that I've tried to build is, is all about. Hello and welcome to this episode of Shopify Masters, the podcast powered by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Shwang Esther Shan. This episode is all about board games. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Board games like Monopoly or the ones you play during family game nights? Well, no, not for Jamie Stegmeier. His company, Stonemeyer Games, produces independent tabletop games at a time where consoles and computers reign supreme. He's been able to turn his board game publishing company into a multi-million dollar business with titles you may have heard of like Viticulture and Wingspan. And Jamie is here with us now to share how he's found success in such a niche market. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So you've been able to turn Stonemaier Games into one of the most well-known independent game publishers with over eight figures in annual sales, um, but it wasn't always like this. So take us back to the beginning and why you decided to start this business. Yeah, I started working on a game design called Viticulture back in 2011 with the intent of putting it on Kickstarter. And uh, I, I found a, a business partner, a co-founder to help me bring that, that vision to life. And fortunately, we did successfully fund on Kickstarter. We raised around $65,000 with that original campaign with just under 1,000 backers. And I know that you did this while you had a full-time job. So tell us, how did you manage this side hustle and a full-time job? Yeah, side hustle is a good way of putting it. It was just a hobby at the time. I was enjoying the board game creation. I was fascinated by the entrepreneurship side of Kickstarter and crowdfunding. And I had a very much had a, a full-time day job at the time that I continued having even after raising a, a decent amount of money. But that's that money was all raised so I could actually make and ship the game to backers. So I continued having that full-time job um, for, for quite a while after that as well. And within your full-time role, are there things that you've learned you've taken into the business? And at what point did you grow the business where you felt comfortable to quit your job? Yeah, the, the job that I had at the time was working as a, uh, a manager at a nonprofit here in St. Louis, where I am. And I, I, I'd learned at that time a lot about marketing and fundraising, definitely applied that to the Kickstarter campaign. Um, but like I said, that money that I raised was for making the game and shipping, shipping the game. I had another game idea after that called Euphoria that I put on Kickstarter, and it did much better. It raised over $300,000 on Kickstarter back in 2013. And at that point in time, I was essentially working two full-time jobs. I was working this hobby around 40 hours a week, and I was working my day job 40 hours a week. So I went to my boss at my day job, and I said, you know, I have this passion project that I'm working on. I really appreciate the job that I have with you and the job security I have with you. Would you consider letting me take a 20% pay cut, and instead of working five days a week, I could work four days a week? but essentially do the same thing that I was doing in five days. 
And so it was an easy sell for my boss at the time. And that was a nice way for me to test the waters of starting to consider running my company full-time while having the job security of a full-time job at the time and the benefits that go along with it. I really love that because this is a much needed narrative um, and it's one very different from the typical entrepreneurship story. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the games that you create. Um, can you tell us, um, I guess, what differentiate these games from traditional board games and what kind of uh, qualities you look for um, when you're producing independent games? That's a great question. Um, so I work in a space called the hobby game market. It's a lot of strategy games where uh, the rule books tend to run between eight to 20 to 30 pages. Like it's a, it's a lot of rules where you're trying to learn all these different combinations of things so that you can form strategies and make uh, decisions with full agency. You have a lot of control over your decisions in these types of games. Um, and that is compared to some more classic games. You mentioned Monopoly at the beginning of the podcast, where there's a lot more luck involved. You still make choices in the game, but there's there's a lot of luck involved in those games. And typically the rule sets, even ancient games like chess, the rule sets are a lot simpler and shorter. And so we're in this wonderful time in the hobby game market right now, where there are a lot of people who are willing to learn these more complex rules and have a more robust gameplay experience when they're hosting game nights. Also, even opposed to party games, which I think is another thing that people think of when they think of game nights games like charades, things like that, that you classically think of game nights. When I host a game night now, we're sitting down for two hours and playing a deep strategy board game. And I can really see how it could get very addictive and there's a lot of growth and learning involved. Yeah. Um, so you've done really well on Kickstarter, eight campaigns in total, and you raise over $3 million. What tips would you give to others who are looking to emulate your success? Yeah, uh, you were correct. Yeah, it was eight campaigns over a course of around three or four years. And one of the biggest things I recommend to anyone, and something that I still do today as I'm learning how to better run um, pre-order campaigns for my company, is that I back and support a lot of projects in the category um, that I'm interested in. In this case, it's board games, but there are lots of different categories on crowdfunding. And I, when I do that, I really pay attention to how different creators are running their campaigns. I pay attention to the things they do that excite me. And I also pay attention to the, to, to the things that they do that don't interest me or even frustrate me at times so that I can avoid those things and emulate the things that they're doing that excite me. So I think that's one of the best things that someone can do if they're looking to consider crowdfunding a project, like back other projects, follow them with the intent of learning from them. I think that's probably the number one thing that you can do. And I think... What you learned from Kickstarter, a big part of it is um, a part of your philosophy today. You really make sure that each interaction is very personable and you carry this throughout your current day business. How did you manage to do this while you've scaled your business so much? Yeah, you're right. That was part of what fascinated me with Kickstarter and crowdfunding and later on just the idea of running a business that is a community and relationship driven business. The idea that I have the potential to have one-on-one -on -one interactions with anyone who is interested in talking about uh, our board games. Um, we used to do that on Kickstarter. Now we do it on our website, stillmarkgames.com. We do it on Facebook. We do it on Instagram. We do it on my YouTube channel about game design. And whenever someone is willing to show up and consume a little bit of that content and has a comment or a question, I want to let them know that I'm listening, that I'm reading along. And I often, oh, I almost always answer the questions. I don't always respond to every comment, but I'm, I'm there to actively respond to every question. And it's, 
it's really a matter. It does take time. And like you said, when, as, I, as we've scaled up, as that audience has, has grown, there are a lot more questions to answer along the way. Part of it is that I hired someone full-time to work for customer service. Joe helps out immensely with that, my coworker. But also, I still spend a lot of time every week um, creating content that I hope is useful for people and answering questions when people choose to engage with that comment because that's what the community is all about. That's what the community that I've tried to build is, is all about. A big part of the business is actually manufacturing and finding your partner. Um, so how did you go about finding your ideal partner and what makes them so great? Yeah, I've kind of lucked out a little bit because I've worked with the same manufacturer, a company called Panda. It's a Canadian company that has their main factory in China. And I started working with them early on when I heard good things about this company. And uh, I, I just really, really enjoyed working with them. On our website, I do have a list of other manufacturers, in many of which are in China. There are some in the U.S. and other countries as well, some in Europe, that, that I think have some, some great positives to working with. And for anyone who is looking for a manufacturer, if you look at that list or if you find any recommendations elsewhere, the things I would recommend looking at, in addition to price, price is a part of it, but I'd also recommend looking at early communication. Like, are they responsive? Are they answering your questions? Are they, are they being transparent about their information? And uh, the quality of their products as well. I think sometimes manufacturers can produce something that might cost a little less, but you can actually tell the difference in quality. So I think that's really important too, as well as the manufacturing speed, like how fast can they get you into their schedule and how fast are they saying they can actually produce the thing that you're trying to make. And I love this aspect of community building as well. You're not just talking to fans of the games, but you're also helping others who are interested in creating their own games with all these resources available. Totally. Yeah, I've, I've learned so much from other creators, like I said, from following other campaigns. And as a game designer, I learned so much by playing games by other designers that um, I, I very much enjoy sharing what I've learned and many of the mistakes that I've made along the way so that other people don't have to make those same mistakes. I'm chatting with Jamie Stagmeyer. He's the founder of Stonemeyer Games, an independent board game publishing company. Now, let's talk about fulfillment. Um, you're a much bigger company. How do you ensure your customers get what they've ordered on time? Yeah, early on when I started, uh, I, I kind of went into it thinking, uh, with my first campaign, I was like, you know, I'll just figure out fulfillment along the way. Maybe I'll ship things out of my condo or, or my garage, things like that. But quickly I realized that that wasn't going to be possible. It takes a lot of time and effort to individually package even a single, even like a dozen packages. That takes a lot of time. And so I ended up partnering with fulfillment centers around the world. Um, I work with a company called Greater Than Games in St. Louis. I work with a company called Hub Trotter in Canada, Aetherworks in Australia, and Spiral Galaxy in the UK. Again, on our website, we have a bunch of different fulfillment centers around the world that we can recommend. And uh, one of the things, like you said, that, that we look out for when we look at these fulfillment centers is how well do they package our products so they can arrive in pristine condition with our, with our customers. So we're always looking at those, the, that element of quality control. How are they packing things? How quickly can they pack things? What are their prices? And again, what type of communication? Are they actually communicating their progress for each project? Let's talk about price a little bit. Like, How do you balance the affordability and also profit when you price a game? It's quite a challenge. It's a great question because there are multiple layers to it too. Part of it is we're pricing products so that we can sell them to distributors who then sell them to retailers. And so typically we sell to distributors at a 60% discount so that those distributors can sell to retailers at a 50% discount. So we're all kind of getting our little margins along the way. At the same time, we use Shopify now to sell a lot of our games to customers worldwide. And so when we sell on Shopify, it's a direct transaction between us and the customer. And so our margins are much better there. 
Um, so we're kind of balancing, like, how do we how do we take our landed cost, the cost that it takes to manufacture and ship the game from China to our fulfillment centers, how do we balance that cost versus our profit when we're selling directly, but also make it profitable so that when we sell at a 60% discount to a distributor, that we're also profitable then, and that we can make more of that game or that product if we want to do a reprint. Um, so it's a balancing act of all those different things that goes into our budgets. I know I don't have an exact formula to give you, but those are some of the considerations that go into pricing. Yeah. So speaking of your Shopify store, obviously fans supporting you directly there is the most beneficial for your team. Um, what are some tools, apps, and services that you've used to really enhance the shopping experience on your Shopify stores? So I was genuinely appreciative when you reached out to me about this because we've had a fantastic experience working with Shopify and you were not telling me to say this. I really, really mean that. I'm looking over here at my other monitor at all the different apps that we use now. So we have four different Shopify stores, one for each of those fulfillment centers that I mentioned. And we do that so we can accurately track inventory for each fulfillment center and that we're not selling something out of like our European fulfillment center that we don't actually have in stock there so that each inventory is tracked per fulfillment center. And some of the apps that we really love using, um, I like, is it okay if I name specific apps here? Uh, yes, we would love it. Yes. Okay, um, so I like the No Fraud app um, that... We haven't run into many instances of fraud, but just for it to be there, um, that, that has been very helpful. We have MailChimp, our e-newsletter, synced with, with uh, Shopify. We have a subscription service that's a little bit like Amazon Prime, but a much smaller level. And we use something called Recharge Subscriptions to help monitor that. We have a low stock alert app. That's really helpful. When we, we have so many products now that we don't even realize sometimes that we've run out of a product. And low stock alert lets us know, hey, you know, you're running low on this product or, or you're about to run out. And we have one other one that we just added where we wanted to be able to add like a free um, addition to orders sometimes. And so we have this app called Easy Gift. And so with Easy Gift, we can say, okay, if someone puts Viticulture in their cart, then they're also going to get this free promo pack without them having to click or do anything extra. So that's really handy too. And those are just a few of like the couple dozen apps on, on Shopify that we love using. Amazing. And you mentioned that there's a lot more products on your store um, because you are now publishing games by other creators. So I guess, what do you look for in both an idea and also a partner when you're thinking of publishing a game? So we, along the way, have figured out the types of games that we want to publish. Um, we publish medium weight strategy games that are meant to be the centerpiece of a game night that are meant to last around 60 minutes to 90 minutes. And so we have these requirements and post it on our website for anyone who wants to submit their game to us. And crucially, you mentioned the term idea there, and I want to stress that um, we're not particularly interested in ideas. We're interested in execution. So if someone has an idea, that's great, and I hope you spend a lot of time figuring out how to bring that idea to life. And if you then think that it might be something that a publisher might be interested in, and you want to submit it to a publisher instead of running a crowdfunding campaign or creating it yourself, that's, that's when we're interested in it, when, you, when you've really delivered on this, this concept that you've started working on. So we have a submission process for that. Um, we still do publish some games that I design myself, but there are many talented designers out there, and we, we love publishing games from other designers, including you mentioned Wingspan earlier. That's our most successful game. That was designed by the incredible Elizabeth Hargrave, a designer out of Maryland. I think now that I've you know known more about Wingspan, I, f I find its charm, but as I guess a normal consumer or someone looking at the idea from the outside, um, it, it sounds so niche, like a game about birds um, and learning about different types of birds. Like, how did you even take the leap to say, like, yeah, this idea will take off? 
I mean, it was a leap. It's always a leap whenever we have, uh, whenever we publish a new game. But there were a few things about the project that really drew me to it. One was um, I sat down with Elizabeth at a convention called Gen Con around five or six years ago. And she had a very early version of the game. And she had all these bird cards. And birds weren't a theme that I was particularly interested in or that I even thought would sell to, to hobby gamers. But she had designed the bird cards themselves so well so that each individual bird really matched the mechanisms of that card. That's tough to pull off, and something felt right about it. And as we played that original game, it really felt felt good to be collecting these different bird cards. Uh, There's something about it that I, I can't even quite put a finger on now, but I think in every gamer, and probably in every person in some way, I think we all probably collect something. Maybe you have a bookshelf full of books. You collect books, you collect games, we all collect something. And I had that feel of playing Wingspan early on that I was collecting this beautiful or potentially beautiful array of birds. They didn't have art on them at the time. And the other part of it was I really enjoyed the way that Elizabeth responded to constructive criticism. She was definitely listening to the constructive criticism that I had to offer to her. And uh, she was also pushing back on certain things where she knew her game so well that she knew that certain elements that I was suggesting or questioning, um, she had already tested it and knew that it didn't work. And so even though I didn't know, I didn't know that Wingspan was going to work out, but I knew that working with Elizabeth and making Wingspan as good of a game as possible would end up working out. And the result was we've sold over 1.4 million copies of Wingspan so far. So it somehow ended up hitting home with a lot of different people. So excited to learn more, Jamie. We'll be right back after this quick word from Shopify. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or in the middle of scaling one, we know that building a business can be lonely at times. To bring fellow founders together, we've launched our merch store, Shopify Supply. From hoodies to socks, you can represent your hustle spirit. Check it out at shopify.supply. That's shopify.supply. And use the code PODCAST for 10% off your complete order, and you'll get free shipping within North America too. Happy shopping! We're back with Shopify Masters. I'm Shwang Esther Shan. My guest today is Jamie Stagmeyer, the founder of Stonemeyer Games. It's a tabletop game publishing company. So can you actually briefly walk us through the premise of one of your new or favorite games um, that you're producing or working on right now? Well, I'll mention one that's kind of a fun story. It's one that we've already published, but it was the most one of the mo- more recent games that we published. It's a game called Rolling Realms. Um, and it's one that I start, I literally designed Rolling Realms over a weekend at the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, I'm sure you can remember like two years ago when the pandemic hit and we all were like, okay, we just can't leave our homes for a little while. And that's really tough for people who love board games because one of the things that I love about board games is getting together with my friends to play those games. And so I designed Rolling Realms with the idea behind it that it can be played completely remotely. Um, it's what we call a roll and write game, meaning that one player rolls some dice and all players use the numbers on those dice on a few cards to write down those numbers and try to build their strategies on those cards. And so you can play, as long as someone has a pair of dice and everyone has a copy of the game or a copy of the cards, you can put it on camera and play anywhere. And so I kind of built this game live in real time using Facebook Live over the first 10 weeks of the pandemic. Like every week I'd just pop online and I'd play a new version of the game. And we ended up having so much fun with it that I decided to, to make a print version of it. 
And so that's one of those little things that I wasn't expecting to come out of the pandemic. You know, there are a lot of bad things that have come from the pandemic, but it was neat to find ways to connect with people over games, over my love of games, even during a tough time when we weren't able to actually get together physically with each other. And I love that you developed it with the community and you actually played iterations with the community as well. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the marketing aspect and the importance of building that community for your business. Yeah, they, pretty much everything I do for marketing is to f give people reasons to get our games to the table. And sometimes those people are just regular people who who like playing board games. And um, part of it is that I hope they just have moments of joy while playing the games. But also there's the potential every time someone gets a game to the table that they might post it on Instagram or post a photo on, on social media somewhere and that someone else might see that photo and be like, oh, what game is that? Maybe I want to play that game. So the more that I can do to build that community and to be, engage with people and get them excited to actually get our games to the table um, among the many other games that they could choose from, the more potential we have for someone else to discover it via social media. The other main thing that we do is I send a lot of review copies on an ongoing basis. Even Viticulture, that first game that I mentioned earlier, Viticulture came out in 2013. And nine years later, every month, I still send some copies of Viticulture to reviewers because I want reviewers talking about it. I want them analyzing it so that uh, people can discover through those reviewers' audiences uh, every, every game that we have, every expansion that we have, as, as long as we keep reprinting those games. So those are some of the, there are many different little things that we do via marketing, but those are two of the biggest things that we do. Let's talk about, I guess, you know, Borgans in general, it's not based on repeat purchases. So how do you scale a company um, with that model? You know, a big part of that is that, is I mentioned earlier about distributors and retailers. While we do love selling directly on Shopify and having those direct relationships, I have learned over time the value of having great retail partners and great distribution partners that get those games to retailers. Because as many games as we can sell on our web store, we can reach way more people in the many, many game stores around the world where people are actually walking into those stores or going to their preferred online store and discovering things that way. Um, and so that's, I think that's one of the best ways to scale. It's one of the reasons that my company grew from raising $3 million on Kickstarter to earning over $100 million in revenue over the last uh, eight years. Like that's uh, selling so many games to distributors and, and retailers has, has really helped that growth. And one of the ways that I talk about it is I can sell one game to 10,000 people, or I can try to do that. Hopefully I can try to do that. And I can ship it to 10,000 individual people. That takes a lot of work, but it can be worth it in the end. Or I can talk to a single distributor and sell them 10,000 copies of a game. 10,000 is maybe too big of a number to use an example here, but you get the point. Like I can sell a lot of copies all in one transaction, all in one conversation to a single distributor, which is a much more effective use of our time. So we like to do both. We've, we've tried to do both, but that's a great way, I think, to, to scale, to have those relationships, not just with individual consumers, but also with retailers and distributors. And it's been so exciting to see all the growth that you've had over the years. Um, can you share some future plans or projects with us and with our audience? Yeah, I... <laughs> I can't spoil too much, but we do have a um, we have a Wingspan expansion coming up later this year. Uh, we haven't announced what continent it will focus on yet, but we do have, it, I would say it's a major Wingspan expansion. We haven't had one come out in about two years now. And so Elizabeth's been working hard on that. That's in production now. And yeah, that's probably all I can say for now. I, we, we hold our spoilers pretty close to the, the chest until we actually announce things. But that's, that's the big one. We, we're, I'm really excited to have that Wingspan expansion come out later this year. Amazing. I want to thank you for doing this, Jamie Stagmeyer, the founder of Stonemeyer Games. It was so nice to chat with you, Jamie. My pleasure. Thank you. 
And that's all the time we have this week. I'm Shuang Esther Shan. Come hang out with us next time on Shopify Masters, wherever you are on your entrepreneurial journey.